Hello there, it's Thursday, which means it's time once again for the best movie podcast ever, the only movie podcast that offers nothing but objective, hyperbole-free discussion of every movie in the known universe. Universe? Universe. That was the word I was universe. trying to say there. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Exactly like that. Um, I'm your host, the podcast with no name, Conrad, and with me as always, he's your Huckleberry, it's Anthony James. <laughs> good afternoon, good evening, good night. You might, yeah, I'm your Huckleberry, Huckleberry Finn. I was about to say you're my Finn, but having said that, Huckleberry Finn is the same person. Um, I actually don't know if that's what, I assume that's what that's referencing. I, I, I'd like, I know it purely from, um, not Unforgiven. Oh God, what's it called? Val Kilmer's Doc Holiday. It's not Wired Up, it's the other one. Oh yeah, Tombstone. Tombstone, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's yeah. I'm assuming he's referencing Huckleberry Finn. Yeah, but that might be. That might be after. Oh my! This is awful. But we're already on a detour. I don't think Huckleberry Finn was after that, was it? Huckleberry Finn was definitely I'm... 1800s. I don't know when Mark Twain was writing. Let us know in the comments, folks. He's got a lovely boat at Disneyland. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Well, um, if you haven't joined us to hear us discuss. Uh, American 19th century literature you'll be pleased to know that this is a movie diary uh, where we're going to talk about all the movies we've seen since the last time we did one of these which was a week ago mm-hmm. uh, next week uh, Anthony and I have agreed we're going to do a themed episode a return to form uh, and that is going to be in honour of the Kong versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus Kong I might have got that title the wrong way around trailer that dropped this week uh, we're going to do monster movies yeah any excuse really <laughs> yeah any excuse to listen to Deeper Underground by Jamiroquai because that song is a fucking banger um, and <laughs> It's the only good thing about that movie, one might say. Um, but yeah, so we're going to do that next week. But this week is uh, a movie diary. And uh, yeah, so if you are new to the show or you're checking us out for the first time, please either subscribe to us on YouTube at The Culture Cave or on podcasting apps or on all the good ones, uh, uh, best movie podcast ever. Get involved in the current comment. I can't speak today. Comments. That's that the, the word I was trying to say. Um, give us a like, share the show with your friends. But uh, apart from that, I say let's talk about some movies. Let's do it. Movies. That's what we're here to talk about. You know the game, and you know how to play it. Uh, I love that's of, your little of, in. Like, that's your like, catchphrase now coming into this section. I love it. I love it. We're just shouting movies and then movies. Uh, qu- <laughs> qu- qu- quoting Triple H's Motorhead theme song yeah. uh, for the wrestling fans <laughs> amongst you. Yeah, we've seen some of them. I've I've only seen I I've I've seen I, I actually to be honest I have seen slightly more than this this week but I've limited myself because I want to get some good discourse going on the ones yeah, I've yeah, discussed yeah. so I've got I've got four with another honorary mention I want to want to okay. um, get out there how many have you got this I, week I've got four um and oh, it's, it's 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 I, I love the fact that you know you're giving us the cream it, it, like we know now you're giving us the cream of the crop there's more yeah. that you've watched yeah this is me scooping the cream off the top here like and- this is just this, what I love is the people, the people who listen to both of our podcasts, the After Dark podcast and this one, are going to get rewarded now because, well, they're getting rewarded through this little tidbit of information. Conrad always has way more show, uh, films watched than me because, as he said on the After Dark podcast, he's usually a movie watcher rather than a TV show watcher. Whereas oh, yeah. I am an equal, I'm an equal opportunities watcher. You know, no, so- yeah, I, I watch no. T- like the, to be the, the the most TV I have watched in the last three weeks is sitting with my partner while she rewatches the whole of Grey's Anatomy on Amazon Prime. Um, I very rarely watch television so it's um 
that's why that's why the After Dark podcast is such a commitment for me, and hopefully the listeners appreciate it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so I only I got four watch this week. It isn't the cream of the crop. It is it is just it's just the just, milk. It's just stuff. <laughs> just just milk. I haven't said that. I, I watched a few really really good films this week. Um, some okay. You know, some debatable, which we'll get into. I'm sure. So I'll go first. My first one. Yeah, you go first. Is very topical at the minute. Well, not <laughs> depends what you mean by the word topical. But I came out recently, so it was released on the twenty. 20- <laughs> okay. It came. It was released on the 29th of January, and that is Simon Stone's The Dig for Netflix. Um, mm. Now this came out. I thought it came out today. What's the first February when we recording this? Um, so it's yes. only two days old. I actually watched it today, funny enough. Uh, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, because I, I thought it came out today. I was like, oh my God, it's number one in the UK. That'd be a great. Mm. I, I really want to watch that because I saw trailers for it. I love Carrie Mulligan. I have, don't really think I've seen her in much that I didn't like her yeah. in. I loved her in Drive, for example. Um, Rafe Fiennes is in it, uh, and he plays uh, Basil Brown, who is. Now, I didn't. This I love a, a film like this because and I'm not going to say you can believe 100% everything's factual. But it is based in truth, um, and I and I love basically the idea of it is is that it, it's chronicling the digging up of the uh, the the site at Sutton Hoo, where they found yeah. an Anglo-Saxon boat uh, that was a grave site, which had a load of different treasures and gold and things in there. I, I, I believe it's like the biggest archaeological find in in British history. Yeah, uh, it, it was a really saying. big deal to the point where when I used to teach Gosh. science. Like I, I, we actually analyzed the scientific methods at which they tested the gold and stuff. So it's, it's. Sort um, of... I, I just want to add a caveat to that yeah. to say uh, within the British Isles because I know the British Empire did a fair bit of archaeology and not always in the British Isles. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. So didn't mean to interrupt there. No, no, that's fine. Um, well, you know, exactly. So actually in Ireland, there's one called Newgrange, which is a huge place. I'll take you there one oh, day. Okay. But, um, yeah, that'd be cool. But it's like a, it's like a tomb, but it, they didn't really find, I don't think they found like gold and stuff. You know what I mean? So this is a real, like they had treasures and all they found. And so yeah. It's, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people, uh, you know, listening to this and before they've seen the film know about the dig, but basically, um, it's. The tagline is, an archaeologist embarks on a historical important excavation of Sutton Hoo in 1938. Literally as if you're watching a documentary. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that, it's hard to get a sense of the premise, to be honest, yeah. from the pre-release stuff or the, yeah. the, the, the trailers and that. So the premise is that you follow a widow, uh, played by Carrie Mulligan, called Edith Pretty. And yeah. uh, she she bought this lamb with her husband for before her husband passed away with the... the uh, eye to always digging up these mounds uh, they thought there might be something under them you know when you see a field with a big mound in it you think there might be something there so they bought them with this intent she got basil brown involved who's Rafe finds character um and he is an untrained uh, well i shouldn't say untrained but he's, he's, he doesn't have any pa- pieces of paper saying that he can do the job right okay he's not a right. he's not a traditional ar- um, archaeologist he is an ex he calls himself an excavator um and he actually sort of was doing he owns a digger basically no 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 like he 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 owns a jcb (laughs) yeah (laughs) it would have been a lot quicker let's be honest yeah but 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 he he basically has been doing it from a very young age and he Mm. and he he comes in he starts digging away but as these discoveries start to come come forth there's bigger powers come into play and like the British Museum wants to get involved and Ipswich Museum wants to get involved and they start like sort of trying to take it away from him. And there's a whole question throughout, is he going to get the credit that he deserves for uncovering these things? That's just uh, like an underdog story. It is. It is like an underdog story. Exactly. Oh, okay. I did not think it was going to be that kind of movie. That makes me a lot more likely to see it actually. Yeah, no, no, it's very, it's very good. Um, so basically Basil, Basil Brown, uh, Rafe Fiennes does a fantastic job of playing the character himself 
he's I, I hesitate to say West Country because I don't think it. I think it's more towards Norfolk. But I can't really tell the. There's certain accents in England that I can't tell apart, right? It's okay. n- it's not full on West Country, but maybe it is. I don't know, right? Anyway, because uh, I know that Ipswich is out near Norwich, right? Yeah, yeah. So I you would imagine Ipswich it's more it's, in East Anglia. It's yeah, it's more an East Anglian accent. I would imagine, unless he. See, I, I don't know. Anyway, it sounded like hot fuzz to me, but I know that that's... Where's that? I think that's in the West Country. Uh, yeah, that's set kind of in, in, in Dorset or something, I think. Uh, anyway, so the, the note I've country. got here is that he did a better job than Nick Frost in Hot Fuzz. <laughs> that, okay, great. That's well, what, that's but, but I don't know if that's where he's from, though. <laughs> what, Ray Fiennes? No, I don't... No, no, he, no, no, no. The accent he's doing. I don't know oh, if I see. he's meant right. to be from the same place as Nick Frost. Uh, but I was going to say, like, like he, acting school... If he, if he was yeah. from there, acting school got that out of Ray Fiennes pretty quickly. Like, he's a very well-spoken man. Yeah, exactly. Well, in terms of, like, the... I was, I, I did enjoy it, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I enjoyed it as an underdog story. Very... It's one of those films where even even a lay person and even someone who doesn't think about it at all could tell that the composition was really considered. Um, mm. You know, like, for example, when Ray Fiennes is, like, riding his bike up a path, he's not in the middle of the screen. He's literally right at the left of the screen. You know, yeah. like one of those, uh, like the cinematographer comes to play. You know what I mean? Like he, they, they knew what they wanted to do and they made it really considered. Everything, every every frame was, was could have been like a painting. Uh, even the grading of it was very, very colorful, um, mm, which okay. the advertising wouldn't, would lead you to believe it's very sort of sepia, very brown. But actually, you know, it was, it was full of color, full of life. Um, I was very happy to see Johnny Flynn turn up in this. Um <laughs> Yeah, he's having a good year, Johnny Flynn. Like, jo- or I say, good year, like good, good last twelve months with um, with Emma, and then and then with this and uh, Stardust as well. Uh, he yeah, played David Bowie, Stardust, yeah. um, which hasn't been released in the UK, I don't believe. Um, or maybe it was released, but we didn't get to see it yet. But uh, based, so, no. but, yeah, Johnny Flynn. He's one of my favorite musicians. He's also a fantastic actor. I've seen him on live on the stage. I just think he's great. Um, and he plays um, Carrie Mulligan's cousin. Which I find really interesting because Carrie Mulligan's married to Marcus Mumford from Mumford and Sons, and Johnny Flynn and Marcus Mumford like came up in the music industry together. You know, so it's a big, it's a big folk, a, a folk circle, a folkathon. It's, it's a folkathon. folk-a-thon but yeah. uh, no, no, the thing's worth checking out. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. It's uh, it's it's lovely. It's got as I mentioned. I love the warm grading of it. I love the yeah. composition. It had an interesting uh, sort of editing decision that there would be a a scene playing out. A lot of the time, a scene playing out you'd hear the audio of people talking, but it would be showing something different. Like while Ray Fiennes is talking to another character, it'd be showing what Carrie Mulligan's up to. It also mm. did this th- interesting, but I actually quite liked this editing choice of while at one exa- one particular um, conversation between Carrie Mulligan and Ray Fiennes, um, they were talking to each other, but they were showing them in moments of the conversation where they weren't talking to each other. So the audio mm. was them talking to each other. But when you looked at their faces, they weren't actually speaking. They were just looking at each other. It, it, yeah, it's quite a like, kind of classic way of conveying maybe a slightly either thoughtful or awkward conversation yeah. by uh, almost doing the, the, the audio from the conversation in voiceover of them not speaking to each other. It's always 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 good fun when they do that. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, but the, the score is lovely, very piano-centric. Um, also, like orchestral with the piano being the center of it. Very somber tone in parts, to be quite honest with you. It's on the eve of, of, of World War II. Um, and yeah. the, there's like sort of a ticking clock to when the war will start, because um, they're all they're all saying we have to get this out of the ground soon. Because once World War, once the war, once the war starts, 
then we'll uh, not be like all tools will be we'll down. Not be able to get anything done. Not be able to get anything done then. Uh, so yeah. yep, it's 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 uh it's great. It's it, I I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it, and I think that yeah, that's cool. I'd I, I, that's it. not that's not what I thought this movie was going to be. Actually, I'm surprised to hear it's kind of like this. Um, I don't want to call it upbeat because you said there are some sort of down moments in it, yeah. but this kind of under, underdog story. Um, it's definitely on my list of things to watch. Um, there's there's a, there's a bunch coming out in the next few weeks actually on Netflix uh, as well as on on other streaming services that uh, that I've got my eye on. Um, and in that vein, mm-hmm. I'm going to go for my first one, which is also a 2021 release, although uh, technically it debuted at um, Toronto International Film Festival back in September. Which you don't last count. Year, I know that. No, it needs to get a theatrical release to count for me. Um, or, well, theatrical release. It needs to get a wide release rather yeah, than just yeah, yeah. Uh, festivals. Um, but this is uh, Penguin Bloom, which also came out on Netflix in, I think, um, internationally. I think it came out on the 21st of January. But it's um, it's basically, it's Naomi Watts and Andrew Lincoln playing a couple who uh, the, the uh, wife is like kind of a very outdoorsy type and she suffers an accident which leaves her paralyzed from kind of the middle of her back down and mm-hmm. it's about her kind of rehabilitation um it's uh, i've not seen anything from this director before isn't as guy i'm hopefully not going to butcher his name but i think it's glendon even or ifan i'm not sure how, how it's pronounced mm-hmm. but um it's uh, this movie caught me by surprise actually because when 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 you describe I, I'm I'm a fan of like an, an uplifting movie. When you describe to me the premise of a movie, which is essentially that this woman is paralyzed and she discovers her lust for life again through caring for a young bird that uh, that her children bring into the family home. Mm. To me, that that sounds like it could go badly wrong as a premise. <laughs> <laughs> like that's I the, the 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 very premise is is overly sentimental already before before we even get into yeah. the part where they make a movie out of it. But it's it's beautifully shot. Um the cinematographer whose name I haven't got down which is bad of me, but the cinematographer does this has this brilliant way of supporting the themes of the movie which is essentially Naomi Watts's character wanting to sort of get back to nature in some way and being kind of caged in this this broken body I guess um and the way the sort of outdoors uh, shots are portrayed with this kind of like sun dappled sunset or yeah. always uh, a, a appearance always like prominent throughout it really supports that that theme um and then the the performances of Naomi Watson and, and Andrew Lincoln are fantastic I think Andrew Lincoln I don't I haven't seen him in that much stuff so I feel like he's just been in the walking dead for 30 <laughs> yeah, years he's been tied up um, in the contract of that yeah he was in teachers I remember him in teachers back in like the early 2000s and then he was in love actually no yeah. he he was yeah, in love, actually, he was, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, but I hadn't. I didn't see that until about uh, until last year. Um, and then he was just Walking Dead for fifty years until until this, basically. But it, you know, he's making up for lost time because he's brilliant. Naomi Watts is brilliant. There's some great supporting uh, performances, um, and the bird metaphor itself. It's it's it could be tiresome, but it really isn't. Like it got me on board. You know, you've got this. This I can't young, even to be honest with you. The, bird, the whole bird thing, I can't even really imagine what's going on with that is like they rescue the bird and as the bird sort of gets better yeah know, like she she's basically life, rege- yeah, yeah well, she she basically like reject her, her her um her i think it's her oldest son kind of holds himself responsible for her accident because yeah. he takes her up to a roof and she she falls uh through a, a, a dodgy railing yeah. um 
and he discovers this i think it's a magpie this baby magpie and brings it home and she's initially like oh get that bird out of here she's you know sick of life she doesn't want to see anyone and wouldn't you know it one day the (laughs) the oldest son has to leave it in her care and i'll tell you what we've got a new star on our hands in the magpie (laughs) that plays this plays peng penguin um because what a cheeky young fella he is like the things he gets up to and i think it's all it, it does unless it's really good cgi it does legitimately strike me as an actual bird doing these things <laughs> i don't know how they did great. it but um it's, it is very uplifting and there, uh, the, the one other thing i will say about it is there are kind of elements in the presentation which didn't really need to be there and mm. elevate it above like the kind of genre trapping. So I don't know if you remember, you know, in Get Out, where um, when spoilers for Get Out for anyone who hasn't he goes seen, in, not... he goes in, yeah, he goes, to, he he kind of uh, sinks into that like black yeah. place, and and that that kind of thing. It didn't really need to be in that film, and the fact that Jordan Peele thought to do that is a sign of a, a really inventive mind yeah. operating as a director. And this has some similar stuff to that, okay. where there are dream sequences shot where Naomi Watts is kind of strapped to her wheelchair and and kind of submerged in this abyss of water. And it really reminded me of that. Um, and it was a really interesting presentation. Yeah. Uh, so um, yeah, Penguin Bloom, another good movie well worth checking out um if you're in the mood for something that's kind of uplifting and inspirational and and quite surprising given um given how trite this could have potentially been that's that's awesome uh yeah and if you like naomi Naomi watts tune in next week to the best movie podcast ever where we'll be talking about monster films oh yeah that i didn't even remember that was her i'm not gonna say what film it is you're gonna have to tune in next week to find that out but i i like i was watching uh penguin blue with my partner and she was like oh yeah naomi watts was in that and i, I was like that can't be true but it is i uh, like naomi watts may or may not have been in a particular project that my wife was working on which has since been cancelled that's all i'll say oh really i didn't sign the the <laughs> nda i'm trying to think what that is um, i i've not i'm not anything i'll reveal at all a cancelled project in belfast i'm sure i'm sure the comments will get on it you know what i mean (laughs) um right okay uh all right awesome yeah penguin bloom sounds good um okay so i'm gonna go to one that i don't have i've got a bit to say about but not too much but i just think it's interesting i wanted to watch it right um okay so i watched sagebrush trail uh aka an innocent man um it's got two titles for some reason and that is a critically unacclaimed John Wayne (laughs) Weston from 1933. An innocent man. I don't think I know this at all. Basically, this is like really old, old John Wayne when he was very young, young, right? And uh, Yeah, wow. Yeah, so An Innocent Man, it was only an hour long and I thought, you know what, I've I've seen a lot of John Wayne when he was sort of in his old, you know, sort of Genghis Khan days, but... um, (laughs) (laughs) That's the performance you go to. (laughs) Genghis Khan, racist ass performance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, no, but uh, I, so I wanted to see what he was like as a young man, mm. and I was, I was very, I was impressed with him. If I'm honest with you, not, not in general. You know, his acting was the same. Let's be honest. But um, yeah, I mean, that, that's a, that's a man. When you think about top being typecast, <laughs> John Wayne, who you think of? I, I was watching this right, and I, I turned to him and I said. This is 1933. This man was doing nothing but westerns for like 30 or 40 years. Like, what yeah. the hell? But, but can, you, uh, can you see like the career? Like, because I mean, I the earliest start of John Wayne stuff I've seen is probably oh, it's probably like Stagecoach or something, which I think Stagecoach was, was like 39, 38. Yeah, mm. but but I mean, like, I mean, I'm assuming this is like that where you can see the charisma and like that kind of natural magnetism that made him such a star yeah no you can see it definitely um i actually watched the colorized version of this um yeah 
So it, it, on, on Amazon, it was there. I didn't watch the black and white one. So it was a bit interesting in a way because the certain frames look like cartoons. You know what I mean? The way mm-hmm. they, color, yeah, yeah. they color these old films in. Um, but it, it was basically... I don't even... It's a John Wayne West. I don't really need to even tell you the, the, <laughs> the storyline, right? He plays... He, he, <laughs> He plays a character called John Brandt, um, and he goes undercover as a guy called Smith because he's, he's running away from from the from the law. Um, yeah. And then you know hijinks occur. Like it's you know I don't I don't need to go in too much into it, but the way it was, I was very impressed by a certain element of John Wayne because what I didn't what you don't see from him in later years is seeing this early performance. He was a I I don't know his background in terms of where he came from, where he grew up. I'm assuming he was basically like a rancher, right? That's what I assume. That's what I assume from him. Even though he's probably from I don't a big, know, he's honest, probably yeah. from a big city or something, right? Yeah. But it looked like he was so adept at horse riding, and he was so adept at like running and just jumping onto a horse. And like mm. the style of filmmaking back then, it very much was. I looked at his uh, his uh, IMDb page. He did so many films. Like there's something like. Oh, nine, yeah. nine films a year or something and I'm thinking geez back in these days they literally just were like shot at once and like got it you know <laughs> just move it on got it well yeah I mean I, I'm assuming I don't know who produced this I'm just trying to find it but this was before the collapse of the studio system so they were just churning this stuff out they're like we've got our star we've a got our director star Western. just keep making these over and over again and you know he stood the test of time say what you will about John Wayne movies but that you know he, him he him as an actor and as a as a character you always knew what you're gonna get with him yeah exactly and like he was doing he was he, he was doing all the horse riding too like it was, mm. he was like jumping on a horse from standing he was like riding a horse while dragging another one along he mm. like they were in a stagecoach and then he climbed down onto a horse unbuckled it and rode away uh he did he had this thing where there was two horses that he unbuckled from a stagecoach and the stagecoach was gone but he was standing on the bit of leather or whatever that that, yeah. that were holding the horses and he was like riding these two horses like he was like like with huskies in 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 the Arctic, you know, <laughs> uh, which is is really cool. There was also a really a little moment in the film which I, I thought was really interesting. He was hiding under the water from the law, and he was like breathing through a little reed, right? The old the classic trick, right? Oh yeah, um, and the way they shot it was really interesting to me because they they actually just had him in like a big tank of water, right, with like grass or rocks on either side of the glass. And then they were yeah. filming him in the tank of water with an angle on it. And it was as if he was under the water, you know, like he was, oh, okay. it, they were filming just through the side of the tank and he was swimming yeah. through the water and he was underneath and made him look like he was underwater. But because the cameras were so bad and it, because it was yeah. so old, it actually really sold that he was underwater, you know, <laughs> whereas these days you shoot it with a high definition camera. It was like, well, you just, he's literally in a tank, you know, <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, you're not fooling anyone. Yeah, but it sold, it sold it back then. Yeah. And like, you know, lots of, like, you know, lots of like the same, the same sound of a punch every time, you know, yeah. <laughs> like load of that stuff, you know what you're getting, but I just thought yeah, it was yeah, really exactly. interesting. Lots of shooting, lots of, lots of punching people. Yeah, yeah. Probably, probably John Wayne saying saddle up at some point. Like that's, um, that, that oh, I'm like sure. A... I'm sure. I didn't. I didn't catch it, but 100. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a stagecoach robbery in it. Like, what else could you want? You know. Uh, Textbook. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I watched. No, that's yeah, that's fascinating. I I've not seen that movie. I've not seen any of that. That director doesn't ring a bell to me. That Armand Schaefer. To be honest, most of the sort of 30s and 40s westerns I've seen are all John Ford stuff because that's the he's like the archetypal early western director. But that mm. sounds that sounds great. I mean, and um, 
if you look at like uh, this is all i know about this movie based on what i've just searched up on it but if you actually look at the um the imdb like kind of uh film poster john wayne's name is bigger than the title of the film which i even at that time yeah in 1933 that surprises me but hell i guess he was a big deal even then like he was Um, a legend the whole way through like mental yeah i mean and he he stayed a legend as well i don't think there was really any down i guess maybe uh, the the sort of true grit or prior to true grit, like when his his style of western went out of uh, fashion a little bit. But you know he stayed pretty he stayed pretty relevant all the mm-hmm. way up to till he stopped making movies. Um, okay, I the, the, this actually leads quite nicely into my next film because uh, I, I've, I've got to talk about this one. It's it's a western that I'm going to talk about as well. It's one of my favorite movies um, of all time. Uh, that I, I I have bought on Blu-ray probably about six months ago, and finally got around to watching because I've always seen it on DVDs and and whatnot before, uh, and that is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, uh, which is it's an interesting. I mean, I, I love this movie because it's essentially a romantic comedy that is also a western, um, mm-hmm. and I think it, it exists in this really interesting kind of crossroads for westerns as a genre so it came out in 1969 so if you like it this is probably a bit arbitrary as a way of describing this but it, it you could kind of make the argument that this is like the end of the western as like a as a main event uh, genre like the yeah. 60s was kind of the, the the last hurrah for it you did get stuff after that as well but but the, the 60s was really the last time the western was massive mm-hmm. and the crossroads basically went in two directions. One direction leads you to things like Unforgiven in the 90s, where it gets very dark and very introspective and very grim. And th- this other direction, which I kind of wish Westerns had gone in, and I don't think they really did, is essentially a romantic comedy, but it has, like, it's about bank robbers. Um, but it's it, this is such a wonderful movie. Uh, the, the lead performances from Paul Newman and Robert Redford are as cool as you like. They, they, they got together again in... I think it's called The Hustle. Uh, it was another George Roy Hill, this director, basically got them together again to be card sharks. I think it's called The Hustle. I haven't seen it. Um, but they're just phenomenal. They're so charming. It works so well, totally. Like, it starts off as, like, a pure comedy where they're just robbing banks. Then it turns into, like, this thriller where they're being pursued by a posse uh, for, for what feels like a full hour. Then they go to Bolivia, and, and it seems like things are going to work out again, and then it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't end up super well. One of the most... Um, one of the most iconic endings of a film I think I've ever seen. Um, it's got a lovely score from Burt Bacharach, which is part of what makes it so kind of um, tonally interesting. And, and so like it really plays with the genre tropes because it's like, well, this is this was, movie was made in 1969. We could go for like genre appropriate music, but fuck it. We're just going to get Burt Bacharach to make like rock songs of this. And it's just, they just don't care. And it works so well. You know, Paul Newman riding a bike and trying to, you know, seduce. They, they basically both love the same woman. And he's not really trying to seduce her. He's just like kind of trying to trying to entertain her. But and Burt Bacharach is playing in the background. The famous uh, raindrops are falling on my head. Yeah. But yeah, I love this film so so much. Um, and it's it, it's still as good today as as it was the first time I saw it. Awesome. I've actually never seen this film. Um, I really want to watch it. <clears throat> and I know I, I've seen uh, like there's a Northern Irish film called Mickey Bow and Me, um, about two boys, one from the uh, Catholic community, one from the Protestant community, coming together and being friends. And they go and see this film in the cinema, and like the sun, oh, okay. uh, you know, this is a big, this is a big sort of moment of that film. So I've, I, I should really see it. I haven't seen it. Um, I know it's really good. Well, I've, I've heard it's really good. I'll, I'll make a judgment when I see it. But uh, when you <laughs> said, when you said Burt Bacharach there, oh my god! I, I, my well, are head... you thinking of Austin Powers too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, ladies that's and gentlemen, Mr. <laughs> that song is good as well. I don't know what the, that that was original. It's weird actually. I'm getting Bader Meinhof complex on this because I talked to someone else not a week ago about Burt Bacharach for some reason before I even watched this movie again. I don't know why Burt Bacharach has been coming up so much in my life, but um, yeah, that moment in Austin Powers too is classic. Elvis Costello and Burt Bacharach singing "I'll Never Fall in Love Again" while Austin and I can't remember Heather Graham's character's name. What, oh, neither, neither can I. Neither can I. It'll be something filthy. Yeah. But Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, yeah, definitely a classic. Um, right, well, we stay in the Western then. Oh, wow. Three, like, we we got three for three here. Yeah, well, mine's kind of a Western. It, well, it is a Western. Oh, okay. It is a Western, okay. but it's... Um, I'll be the judge of that. Yeah, so <laughs> you might say it's the most Western Western. Um, and that is 1999's classic I, use, I don't use the word classic ever, ever, very often but it is a classic let me I let think me i know it. what this is wild wild west <laughs> wicked wicked wild yeah. wild uh, it. Gosh, the wild wild west right so it's directed by barry sonnenfeld um starring uh will smith kevin klein i'll tell you what straight out the bat i feel sorry for kevin klein i feel sorry oh, for kevin getting, klein. i had circles acted around him no, be- yes, basically, be- because Will Smith was plastered everywhere for this. He did the oh, yeah. song for it. It was like the Will Smith. Uh, yeah, Western. this was like the Will Smith coming out party because this- he'd done Men in Black, yeah. and like Men in Black was a big deal. But I feel like this was like right. Will Smith is being an actor now. Exactly, and, but the, th- the thing is though, Ke- is that this is a buddy film. Like it's a yeah. buddy film about Kevin Klein's character, who I will tell you his name is called Artemis Gordon. I couldn't remember the Artemis. Oh, I uh, thought doesn't he? I thought he isn't he playing like a future president in this? Like he changes his name or something? No. Oh, so he put, so okay. So Artemis Gordon, who's played by Kevin Klein, is a um, he's an he's an agent, a special agent, yeah, who. Yeah goes undercover in different forms like so he'll dress up as a woman or dress up as this and there's a particular scene where he dresses up as president ulysses s grant um okay but the Maybe funny the I funny thing about it is he because he, will smith goes into the office and starts talking to to the, the president and you find that it's actually kevin klein but then the president <laughs> walks in and the president's also played by kevin klein <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah okay that's what I, I think that's probably what i'm thinking of there it's been a while since i've seen wild wild west to be honest i'm gonna be honest with you conrad i'm gonna and i'm and i feel dirty i feel dirty admitting this I, you might Go say on. i feel as dirty as uh, a cowboy in the old west i really enjoyed watching this again i <laughs> i think i like this more watching it now than i than i did when i watched it when i was 10 years old like because yeah. I'm watching. I mean, from the... if you want to see Kenneth Branagh opera, first off, Doctor Loveless, yeah. I would put that in the top five Kenneth Branagh roles of all time. <laughs> like, I, if you want to see a man who uh, was once touted as like the great British thespian to like take over the mantle of Laurence Olivier, chew as much scenery as he physically can, Doctor Loveless is the role for you. I, I tell you what, it was nonsensical. Uh, the the designers went mad. Like, I think this had like a big big part in. If not, was a big. To the steampunk movement, um, oh, yeah. it's basically steampunk spiders. Steampunk spider, yeah, steampunk spiders. It, it's really, really interesting. Now, I will say there's so basically for anyone who hasn't seen it, um, it's basically a story of two agents. Will Smith plays, I think it's literally West, Jim West. yeah, Jim West. So Will Smith <laughs> yeah, yeah. plays Jim West. Kevin Klein plays Artemis Gordon, and they are sort of 
the classic opposites attract. You know, you know the body. Yeah. It's like basically Buzz and Woody from Toy Story. The body, the yeah. buddies who go on a journey together and uh, eventually come around Me- to each other and all that sort of thing. But yeah. uh, basically, there's a there's a crazy guy who played by Kenneth Branagh called Doctor Arliss Loveless, and uh, he wants to take over the United States. And yeah, I can't remember what his actual pl- like why his literal just... his literal plan is to take over the United. In fact, in fact, there's a funny part where he's laying out his plan and he's got a whole map of what's going to happen. He's like, this side can go back to go back to the British. This side can go to Mexico, and he goes, and, he, and then he's literally got like a third of the country, and it says Loveless Land, and he says, <laughs> and I'll take this last to retire on. <laughs> it's like, um, do, do you remember, have you ever seen Street Fighter the movie? Uh, no. Okay, well, there, there's like basically there's a bit in that where like M. Bison outlines his plan for world domination, and he's talking about like bison dollars and the exchange rate for bison dollars and how much ass it's going to kick because he's going to kidnap the queen and force the British to give him like a really favourable exchange rate between the pound and the bison dollar <laughs> and it's that kind of level of plan which is like you I feel like the logistics of this aren't going to work Dr. Loveless to be honest like I feel yeah. like there's like, a lot he... more administration involved in this than you're thinking yeah and I know he has a giant spider but is literally <laughs> yeah. kidnapping the president mean that yeah, you could I mean, redraw the state's lines <laughs> and like you know I, i'll give him the giant spider is terrifying and devastating but i mean the in the, like i feel like if you leverage the entire united states military against one giant spider they would win they just blow the shit out of it with <laughs> artillery you know like it's not it's it's a giant spider it's not like thanos's infinity gauntlet like it's it can yeah. still be bl- made of metal and can be blown up yeah um, so it's just like, it's a big old rip and yarn it's good fun i will say there's a strange like obviously this I, and i will say people who haven't seen this it's very not well received it's it was a huge flop maybe one of the biggest yeah. flops of all time but when you watch it now looking like watching it now looking back on it you can appreciate it almost as like a time capsule of of someone's idea that they thought was a good idea. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? It, it's a, it, I feel like it's a it's a relic of a simpler time yeah, yeah. when we could just be like, you know what, Will Smith's going to make a western. It's going to be steampunk, and you know, it's going to be an original thing, I guess, and it's going to be awful. But God bless them, they tried. Yeah, <laughs> they swung they, for they, the fences on this one. Um, I will say as well, there, there was a strange subplot going on. Not really a subplot, really. It was actually more of the characterization of uh, Will Smith's character. It was kind of like a Django Unchained thing. Honestly. Okay. Honestly. Because like every single character who wasn't like a main character, uh, well, the, the bad guy main characters were also mentioning it. They all mentioned the color of his skin. They all met, Obviously, you know, they're trying to be realistic at the time. But also, in this type of film where it's like a comedy yeah. thing, they keep Pinches referencing slavery. They were going to literally lynch him at one point. Does, you know? he, uh, does he shoot anyone and say the D is silent and then they see his name spelt out and it's spelled D-J-I-M. <laughs> like West. No, no, no. Well, not, that, oh, not, not that similar to Django. But um, yeah. But it's really interesting. Like, So there's a lot of Kenneth Branagh, who's the real bad guy. Like, he, like Don't get me wrong. Yeah. He's, they're trying to make him as bad as bad can be. So when he's referencing and putting down Will Smith for his race, it kind of... Although maybe they wouldn't make those such overt, uh, you know, put downs of a black man in a lead role these days, you know, especially in a film like this. I think if you do, obviously, if you're doing a a realistic thing like 12 Years a Slave or something, you would do that because you're trying to show the realistic nature of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think I think the the stat is actually there's something like 25 percent of cowboys were actually black, um, 
which is not a stat people hear very well, often. A shitload of them were, were Hispanic as well. Like Exactly, uh, the, yeah. So, like Mexicans like, made up a the, huge The interesting thing was, though, I don't, I don't think I saw another black man in this whole film except for Will Smith. Uh, so, you know, yeah. they thought they'd done their job having him. But uh, basically, this is the weird thing, right? So, okay, maybe you can settle the fact that the bad guy is the one being racist. Okay, okay. The bad yeah. guy. But whenever he, the bad guy, Kenneth Branagh, would, would uh, put down Will Smith about slavery and everything like this, Will Smith would bounce back, and this really is of the time, and we could not do this anymore. Will Smith would come back and just have an onslaught of insults about how Kenneth Branagh's character is in a wheelchair. Oh, great. I don't remember any of that. That yeah. sounds bad. I think the word, the word, really stomp, the word stomp was used. Oh, I... Was well, it referencing the uh, the musical? <laughs> no, <laughs> okay. No. He wasn't a musical fan. This character, but like that's <laughs> that's what I mean. Like that was a bit strange. It was a bit strange. Yeah. It kept coming back. It was sort of the. It was like the because maybe that was like the the sort of harsh comedy of the time. But well, it was, I think it's it, just it's, lazy characterization as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's like yeah. okay, this character. How do we how do we like immediately signpost this character as a bad guy? I don't know racism, and then and and you know what can we get away with uh, James West saying like I don't know, being ableist because this guy is a is a dick, so you're allowed to be ableist to him. As you say, that's very much a very much a symptom of the of the time in which this was made. I think exactly. So if you ignore that. It's a rip and yarn with a, with a load of good fun on it. I, I'll, I will I will say as well at the end of like the Django Chain sort of storyline in it is that you actually like Jim West. It's not the end of the storyline, sorry, but it, I'm explaining why it is like that. Jim West, you find out that his family has actually died because of a uh, an attack on a particular uh, village that his family's from. Uh, and Doctor Lovelace was involved in that, so it literally is like this is Django Unchained. He's Django, and Loveless is Leonardo DiCaprio. You know, yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like in a buddy film. Like, I suppose Django's kind of like a buddy thing too, because you've got uh, what do you oh, call well, him? Um, oh, what's his name? It's not Hans. Christoph Lander, Waltz. Yeah, yeah, Christoph. Waltz. Christoph Waltz and uh, Jamie Fox. So yeah, it's basically Django Unchained is a remake of this film, basically without without yeah. the giant spiders. They need to get Quentin Tarantino to get some original ideas. <laughs> Definitely. anyway that's wild wild west uh much better than i remembered i think i probably yeah. put it this way not the best film in the world i'll watch it again in the next 10 years yep okay well yeah james west jim west remember the name um <laughs> i can't remember the rest of that song I, the only line i remember from that song is don't let me catch your hand where your hip be at which is a great <laughs> line uh <laughs> wild wild west yeah wicked wicked uh, whatever happened to cisco where did he go um but I, I, he probably, went to the wild wild west probably yeah um okay so i'm going to how many do i have left i've got two left so I, i'm gonna do one of mine now this is um not a western in any way shape or form no, so well, we're not gonna have the street but, keep going but well i mean you could make the argument that it's about some cowboys of the financial type oh um, <laughs> uh, this was uh, i watched this in honor of the fact that all that gamestop uh share stuff was going oh. on and i was like you know what this puts me in the mood for I think and I that is ad- Adam McKay's The Big Short, which I was like, you know what, that's a really good movie. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, Adam McKay, I go back and forth on as a director. Like, obviously, like Anchorman and like Step Brothers, and um, he's got his two types of film he makes. Yeah, exactly. He's got his comedies, yeah, like... and he's got his. I'm, tr- I, you know, I'm trying to do my editing stuff. Yeah, um, and and I think this is this is really compelling. It's still as compelling as it was when I first watched it, particularly for a movie that's subject matter is something that I know basically nothing yeah. about like my my approach to investing is to throw money into an investment isa and be like i don't know you guys deal with it i don't want to do it i i, I don't know what i'm doing um 
And it does, I've heard like kind of criticism of it that it does kind of hold its audience's hand a little bit to lead them to the compelling jumps forward in the narrative. Hmm. But I think that works really well. It does. And I think, I think it's kind of like aided as well by having such a good ensemble cast. Um, I think it's kind of typical of Adam McKay's films that the writing of his characters is very two-dimensional. And I think that's partially a problem of the fact that there are so many characters in this that that they don't really have time to have more than one dimension or two yeah. dimensions, I guess. Um, but but those two dimensions for most of his characters are really good. Like Ryan Gosling's character is, is really funny. Steve Carell gets probably the most meat um in terms of character development even though it's not much but his his character is, is really well realized and christian bell as well is pretty good um so yeah I, I i really like this movie it's still really good and and it's never been more relevant than it is right now yeah like i've seen this film as well i've sort of i view this obviously it's obvious why but i view, I view this film as like a double bill to to uh, vice which is adam mckay's uh, one we yeah. talked about a few weeks ago um it's got the same sort of style in the same way in Vice where they explain political things through mm. taking a break from the narrative. Like, I think in The Big Short, there's a really awesome scene where to expl- to explain, they're like, this stuff's really complicated. You know, like the uh, the narrator goes, this stuff's really complicated. So to explain it, here's Margot Robbie in a jacuzzi. And she just, yeah, she sits there drinking yeah. champagne, explaining yeah. how the stock market works. It's, it's really yeah, interesting. Yeah, they return to it later with um, Sienna Miller playing Blackjack with... Um with an economics professor from Harvard or Yale or something. And yeah. it is, I mean, it seems dumb, but it's, it's really memorable and it does work. So, you know, yeah, it, it, I, I, I really like that style. It's like, it's something I, that I've not really seen before. It's almost like what I kind of refer to as kind of like the YouTube film. Like, so like Adam McKay has been inspired by this sort of editing style. And like also in Lucy, which we talked about, uh, uh, you know, about a month ago, uh, which yeah. was Luke Besson's film. It, they cut away to pictures and video like they're making a YouTube video, their first YouTube video. You know what I mean? Like where they're like, uh, that's like they're narrating over, over just pictures they found on Google. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, I find that a really interesting thing to put in a feature film. Uh, yeah. It, but it works. It works though. But um, yeah. I find it very interesting. It's like the first thing you learn in editing, editing software. You know what I mean? It's like they're, they're using the skills that they first learned but they're still using it when they're making multi-million dollar films. Yeah, well, I mean, if it, yeah, if it works, why why get away from it? But <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, and I think that is, it, it is kind of really, really snappily edited. I think Adam McKay is a limited filmmaker, but within the within his limits, he is very good at, or he can be very good at what he does. And I think this is a great example of that, where it's like, you know what? We're going to have really good, car- like, well, in fact, actually, I say really good character actors. It's really leading men because it's Christian Bale, Ryan Gosling, and Steve Carell who are all yeah. leads. Um, but they're kind of playing character actors because it's an on or playing. Uh, they're they're filling character actor roles because it's an ensemble cast. And mm-hmm. and for that reason, like his scripts, uh, well, it's not his script, but the scripts of this movie can can uh, come to the front and and it doesn't need to do too much in terms of like deep characterization. Mm-hmm. It's just like you be funny, you be the damaged one and you be the one who's a little bit off the wall and you're good enough actors to make those characters work with the time allotted to you yeah no no it's great and like these sort of films when it all comes together because they've got all those different different tracks being run when they all actually do come together at the end it's it's always great um yeah yeah awesome uh okay my last film is a documentary my first documentary that i've watched uh for this podcast 
I am okay. a I am a lover of documentary if I'm honest for you. Um and I was kinda waiting for Conrad to watch a documentary first. He watched Maradona. <laughs> uh he watched yeah. Diego Maradona. So once he watched it, I was like, Yes, I have permission. All right. So now next yeah. week I'll have five five monster documentaries next week. But um Nice. Yeah, uh so basically I watched I watched a Netflix documentary um called Three Identical Strangers. Uh Oh, this is yeah, this is good. Have you seen it? I have seen this. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's. I think it's really cool. Um, so basically, the setup. We're not going to spoil anything. Like, but the setup basically is that there's three fellas who, when they're 19 years old, they find out that they have they're, they're triplets, um, yeah. and they got separated at birth, and they and they're all um, they've they've all been they've they've all been adopted by different parents. Um, and then sort of the story goes, and it, like after we we found this out, and it was like they they were all together after like 10 minutes, and yeah. I was and I turned to him and I said what is this film going to be about? Yeah, it's, it's not what you think it's about. Like, you, you yeah. when you see that, that premise, it's like, well, obviously, this is going to be about the unlikely journey these triplets went through to discover that they are they had brothers. Yeah. But it ain't about that. It, it is not about that. It is, no. it goes, it's like a rabbit hole, you know. You go down the rabbit hole as you go. And literally, I'm look, I, I, I paused it and it was like, I was like, already, like, after half an hour, like, so much has happened, how long's left? And it's like, <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, we're only half an hour in. And I... 20 minutes ago, I was thinking, geez, we've just finished the show, you know. After 20, yeah. after 10 minutes, you're just like, well, we know everything now, you know. Yeah, the last hour is just them playing football in the back garden with, like, upbeat music playing in the background. Exactly. Um, so, okay, so the style of the documentary is... Um, so documentaries come in different styles. This one comes in the style of... They, they do reenact things. So yeah. some documentaries don't do this. This one obviously didn't have enough footage to create the documentary like Maradona would have. But uh, so that they, they actually reenact with, with actors while the real people are talking in their interviews that you'll mm. see sort of things happening as if it was real. Now, I don't always like that in documentaries, I'm going to be honest with you. It does work in this and it doesn't come across as cheesy. It doesn't really, like they don't have, they never have the actors speaking. You know what I mean? Like they don't mm. actually reenact scenes. So it doesn't come across badly. It actually comes across very, very well. Um, I also think that they, the director makes a really good choice of licensed music. Um, so there's particular moments uh in in the in the film where you know you've had like 10 15 minutes of emotional dialogue from the the interviewees and then all of a sudden they'll just like yo and it was the 80s man and it'll like pop into a <laughs> to a license license music and it'll just yeah. give you a little montage of the 80s i will say i was watching this with Emma, right and like in this documentary it is uttered you know sex drugs rock and roll it was the 80s man i just want to <laughs> say to you conrad i've heard that exact phrase said for every decade from the 60s yeah. on. It was it's, the 60s, man. Not, it was the 70s, man. It was the 90s, man. Like It's, it's, it's basically just like, yeah, a, a, like a phrase used to describe a period of hedonism in your own life. Yeah, it's everyone like, thinks that their early 20s was the only time the world was rocking. You know? Yeah, it was it was the only time anyone took drugs and had sex and drank a lot was when you were doing it, which yeah. uh, as I get older, I become acutely aware that that was not the case. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was the 2010s, man. You know, yeah. um... <laughs> if you read about what was going on in Germany during like the, the 20s, like there was... Oh, there the was, 1920s. Like... Jeez, don't worry. Yeah, I've, I've seen it. I've seen Babylon yeah. Berlin. Oh, well, yeah, there you go. Like they were, they were all about drugs and sex and alcohol uh yeah. so, and I, i'm assuming in other parts of europe as well so yeah uh, the, the these guys unfortunately were not the ones to invent drug taking as yeah much as so basically so. yeah like to give a little hint into sort of 
not this doesn't tell you anywhere where it goes but after they get together they have a great time we'll say um yeah. and uh that's one of the points i might say too good a time too good a time but yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's it's really compelling it's really compelling yeah, it it's worth watching um it's the story does not get bored the whole way through boring the whole way through yeah. like every part of the story is compelling um it's one of those documentaries that where the 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 narrative kind of speaks for itself to a certain extent, and I, I feel like the documentarian. I can't remember the name of the person who made it, but Tim Wardle. Yeah, I, I feel like they're not having to massage the narrative too much to yeah. get it to tell the story they want, uh, which is normally the sign of a of a good documentary. In my yeah, in my exactly. Eyes. And like, you know, I'm not trying to spoil anything, but I'm going to say something now for the next twenty seconds, which might be viewed as a spoiler, but might not be. <laughs> <laughs> this film suffer this documentary suffers from what a lot of documentaries in my opinion suffer from and that's the fact that when you've got all these characters speaking at their current age when there's one missing you know where it's going yeah you know what i mean and that's a sad truth and they couldn't really get around that but it's just the fact of the matter you'd have to be stupid not to know where it's going you know um, yeah. but, it, but it makes you feel sad in the documentary before you actually should be feeling sad if you know what I mean because you put it together also I'll end it on saying this we, we open it with this with the, one of the brothers called Bobby before they realize who they are and all that sort of thing he's going to, to university for the first time and he's like uh, he's like I was going to university and, every, and he's like talking like this and he's like, and he's like so I got in my car it had burgundy sides green bonnet right he's explaining <laughs> it. he goes it was called old bitch <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, right, this is what we're doing. We're in. We're into this yep. documentary. It was like such a strong start with this really uh, this really big character. Call, he called yeah. his car Old Bitch. Old Bitch. It's like George R. R. Martin. <laughs> yeah, this was not British. written. This is a documentary. His car was yeah. called Old Bitch. I mean, George R. R. Martin seemed to think it was clever to have one of the Ironborn call a ship Sea Bitch yeah. in his fantasy <laughs> novel. So... The gloves are off, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm not. I'm going to judge this young man for calling his car the old bitch. Oh, uh, I'm judging him in the positive direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like a great guy. I, I just love the uh, fact that he's sitting there in his fifties or sixties, still loving still, the choice. Yeah, still, still regaling old people. Yeah. What a what a choice that was. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, it is a good movie though. I I enjoyed it. I, I, as I kind of said when we talked about uh, Diego, I or Diego Maradona. Another name that movie. Slipped. Both, I can never yeah. remember if it's just his first name or the or the yeah both. Um, documentaries need to be very good to keep me going because if I can see the strings of the documentarian at all, yes. I'm like ah I don't like this. Um, and this one yeah t- totally kept me enraptured for the for the full length of the movie, the which is yeah for the generation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> cool. Okay, so my I, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do two here. My last one is just a and finally kind of thing. Cool. Um, first one i'm going to talk about it's not a documentary uh it's a sequel to a movie that i did very much like and i watched it because another sequel is coming out in about a week's time uh, and that is to all the boys p.s i love you uh it's a sequel to all the boys i've loved before and is the one before what's it called to all the boys always and forever so it's a it's a rom-com something like i haven't really mentioned many rom-coms to be honest on this mm. um up until this point I, I do like a good rom-com and to all the boys I've loved before is actually it's very like it, the, the central performance of Lana Condor is really charming and really funny in the first one. Um, and that, that helps it a lot. And it's kind of elevated by some really interesting uh, kind of presentational production design elements. Like it's really colorful. It's really bright. Um, and it's shot in this kind of really odds, like esoteric kind of way that I, that I enjoyed. And there is a bit of that in this, but unfortunately 
with uh, To All The Boys P.S. I Love You, the original director, I believe was Susan Johnson. Yeah, I think it was Susan Johnson, uh, left and was replaced on this film by the cinematographer from the first film, uh, whose name is Michael Fimagnari, I think. Um, and That's interesting. It doesn't have, it loses something in that. And I mean, and I don't want to put it all on his shoulders because I think this movie also suffers from uh, the, the the problem a lot of rom-coms suffer from when they try and make a sequel which is that you have the big kind of romantic climax of the yeah. first movie and it's like okay how do we do that again how do we reset and, it yeah and the and unfortunately the answer is well, we just kind of do the same thing but put it in a different setting with maybe some different characters and you're always gonna suffer from diminishing returns when that's all you have mm-hmm. and unfortunately that is all this has um it's not the worst movie in the world by any stretch of the imagination. As I say, Lana Condor is still very, very charming and very funny. And there are, there are decent moments in it, but it is essentially just a retreading of the first movie. So you'd be, and I'm hopeful um, that, that the third one ups the game a bit. I don't think it will because I think it's Michael Fimagnari again, but, um, but the first one is still well worth watching. So if you're in the mood for a, a decent rom-com uh, to all the boys I've loved before is very fun and enjoyable. That's really interesting. Um, I, I've seen that film on there before. Um, I, I, I'm not someone to look look at like a, a what's very clearly like. I, let's let's be honest. The target market of this is maybe old teens. Maybe I'm not quite sure. But um, yeah. like I, I'll watch film no matter what the target market is. Uh, I haven't seen this though. Um, but uh, I find that very interesting. Whenever the director left, that the cinematographer became the director. When has that yeah. happened before? That's a very strange choice. Um, I, I don't know if there's a reason for it. Um, I mean, and I'm not against um, cinematographers stepping into directing because normally no, no. what that ends up with is a really nice looking movie. But it, it's weird in this that this movie looks worse than the first one, which I guess means like that the Michael Fumignari didn't have enough time to do the cinematography and had to hand it off to the actual cinematographer and the end result was diminishing quality but yeah it's it, it's quite uncommon um from what from from my knowledge for a director to leave a project and for the cinematographer to to step in and do it um yeah um in and it's place. coming but, out it's coming out next well like sort of soon is it the, the yeah, next one of february i think that's interesting so like it, they're releasing one at one a year yeah, I I cannot believe the turnaround on that. Like literally, it's less than a year since the since this came out um, to to the release of the. Well, next it, must, one. it must be like it's sort of like making a TV show, but they're but, so, they're, but yeah. they're making just a film instead of making eight episodes. Um, it's all it's interesting because. Or maybe they were all shot like The Hobbit, you know, like they were shot. Yeah, all shot them all together. Yeah, because the actors are aging, so they're like, we got to get them when they when they're good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, well, you know. I, I'm interested in that. I might, I might, I might watch. Give the first one a go and see what. The, I think. the first one is worth seeing. It, it, it's it's not you know it's not mind blowing, but it's good. It's fu- it's funny and and charming, and the the central romance is is quite believable. It's you know it's it's heartwarming. I'll say. <clears throat> is there a, is me. there a sort of a, a trope in there of her writing letters? Is that why it's called To All the Boys? Is oh she... yeah. So so basically, the central premise of the first one is she wrote a bunch. I think she wrote five letters to boys she had crushes on when she was like ten. Um, and then her younger sister mails them accidentally when I think she's like 16 right. and um, they they go to various boys uh, but one of the boys is someone that is currently like the, the lacrosse playing hunk of her yeah. high school and um, and he's having his own relationship problems and, she, and he ends up saying well listen if you like me why don't we pretend to be in a relationship to make my current girlfriend jealous and wouldn't you know it they end up falling in love <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> that's um it, that is a fairly well-worn territory i don't think it's really doing anything new but like the kind of presentation of it is really nice and the performance of lana condor is really good so it's worth checking out does she wear this glasses time. up until the, the transition though up until the montage she doesn't she doesn't wear glasses she's actually she's actually really well dressed she's got a really cool sense of style like that character um i can't remember if she's bookish up until a point i don't think she is i think she's just kind of like one of those kids who's like oh she's such a nerd and outsider it's like there's no way this incredibly attractive and really well dressed like 17 year old is an outsider in this school i don't believe it for one moment but um but but, you know lana condor's like her performance is great so it's well worth seeing the first one second one i wouldn't really recommend and the third one i'm a bit skeptical about but we shall see it'll probably come up in a movie diary in a couple of weeks time i imagine okay Um, awesome Unless it's, and I, not, unless it's not the cream that rises to the top. No, if you don't ever hear me mention this series again, you'll know it was just thrown out with the rest of the shitty milk and didn't make it into the cream. While we're in the cream metaphor, geez, that, that reminds me of, um, uh, what do you call it? Catch Me If You Can. Have you seen, have you seen that? I have. Uh, I don't remember the cream bit. Oh, uh, Christopher Walken. That's his little go-to metaphor. He's like, two mice fall in a bucket of, bucket of cream. One mouse... He gives up and he drowns. But the other mouse, he keeps trying and trying. Oh, yeah, and eventually he turns that cream into butter. <laughs> <laughs> and he crawls out. <laughs> yeah. Classic classic uh, quote in my house. Yeah. No, I haven't seen that movie for a long time. So it, like the, the, the cream metaphor has slipped my mind. But it's very appropriate for what but we're you doing are that second mouse. You are that second mouse. You're bringing the cream to us. I will, I will drink that cream until it's... <laughs> Butter. You'll just drink the cream and then yeah, just you survive because you just drink uh, it all. Uh, <laughs> yeah. like, I'll just be dead at the bottom of an empty bucket and be like, well, obviously, he's poisoned himself by drinking all that cream. Um, Fair enough. Speaking, speaking of cream, I'm going to just mention this very quickly because it was actually one of our listeners in last week's comments that recommended this movie to me. I can't remember who you were. If it was you, make yourself known in the comments and I will respond to you and say thank you. Um, this is a movie on Netflix. It's called Ruben Brandt Collector. It's a Hungarian animation from 2018. Mm. Um, and I'm normally quite bad about, as you well know, Anthony, when someone recommends something to me, it normally takes me about a decade to get around to actually <laughs> yeah. watching it. Um, but in this case, I was looking for something to watch on Netflix. I remembered this recommendation. I went and checked it out, and it is really beautiful animation, really, really cool. Um, it, the, the, the plot itself is is pretty, I, I don't want to say straightforward, but it's essentially a, like a kind, of, a kind of a heisty kind of movie. What's it called um, again? Uh, Ruben Brandt's. Uh, comma collector cool um but the animation style is fantastic i really really enjoyed it it's so it's so stylish and so slick um and i i'd, I'd love to see and, and and actually also great use of licensed music talking about licensed music, mm. music earlier in the um earlier in the episode but yeah i just wanted to give this a shout out because it was a really good recommendation awesome yeah um i'm actually uh, email loves animation well so do i but yeah you know, email will be really up for watching it yeah, I think I think you guys would I think you guys would probably enjoy that to be honest. Yeah, awesome. Um, but yeah, so I think that's gonna that's gonna do it for us here this week on the best movie podcast ever, um, which leaves us as as we end every show with one simple question to answer, and that is, Anthony, what is your favorite movie? Wild Wild West. Wild, Wild, you've. <laughs> I can't believe you've done this. My favorite movie is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. <laughs> We're, we're welcome to the best Western podcast ever. That's all we talk about here. We're the rootness tootness podcast in town. Um, check us out next week for our themed episode on monster movies. We're going to talk about Godzilla and all sorts. Um, 
I'm getting ready. Last week I was so late with my cut. I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready. Yeah, get, get ready. Prime it. Prime the cut. Prime the snapper board. Um, subscribe to us on YouTube, Culture Cave. Uh, subscribe to us on podcasting apps. Uh, best pod- movie podcast ever. We're on all the good ones. Give us a like. Get involved in the comments. Share the show with your friends. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you to Nancy Wyatt and Jared Ascarat for the use of our theme song. Uh, their stuff's in the link down below. Share the show with your friends. I've already said that. And we will see you same time, same place next week. And cut.